tonight's topic is one that I've been thinking about for months and just intrigues me. Uh, and I hope that it'll intrigue you too by the time we get to the end of it. Um, next week, tonight we're going to be talking about the God who speaks. And by the way, that graphic is one of the ways he speaks to us through creation. Next week we're going to look at how we respond to the God who speaks. Before there was anything else, there was God speaking. Just think about that for a moment. Before anything, before this universe came into existence, there was God speaking. So we're going to take a closer look at the implications of that statement, but first of all, let's just take a moment to define what we mean when we talk about God. Uh, the speaking God is the Christian God. Suppose God springs from five major religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and uh, scores of other religions de derived from them, and together they recognize multitudes of gods. Christianity acknowledges one God and adds a unique understanding of the way he reveals his character and his nature through a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this trinity is essential to our knowledge of God. The Father is the eternal, supreme initiator, the beginning of things, creator of all things visible and invisible. And he exists outside of his creation. The Son is God in human form who visits his creation. And the Holy Spirit is God's online presence in the world, indwelling his people everywhere. Now, a simple view of the Trinity uh, is to see it not in linear terms. When we think of the Trinity, we tend to think of one plus one plus one equals three. But uh, that's not the right way to think of it. A single person multiplied in three dimensions, always fully God, yet distinctive in each, is best understood if we think of one times one times one equals one. This is the triune God. Uh, only the Christian God in this three-in-one form meets us in each of our human dimensions of heart, that strange inner part of us where our spirit resides, our soul or mind, and our physical body. Though infinitely far from us, beyond our comprehension or knowing, our Creator makes Himself near and knowable as the God who came to us and speaks to us. There's no other God like that. So let's look at the different ways he speaks. We've already noted one. He speaks by the facts of his creation. It's vast, complex, magnificent, and logical. I stress that, logical, to the extent that it cannot be accidental, but is the product of a profound intelligence and unlimited power. Every detail of our origin speaks of the deliberate act of a purposeful creator. Romans chapter 1, 
three verses there tell us about that. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. No one can deny, no sentient human being can deny God's teaching through the creation that is around us constantly. God speaks secondly through his written word. That's passed on to us by men who he inspired, uh, and he's inspired them throughout human history in different ways to provide a complete explanation and guide as to our origins. Where did we come from? Our meaning. Why are we here? Our morality. Knowing the difference between right and wrong. And finally, our destiny. Where are we going when this is all over? The Bible is the only book ever written that fully addresses each one of those four critical points. So God speaks through his written word. Then he speaks most profoundly and wonderfully through his living word. He visited us and lived amongst us as a man without a human defect of sin. We're invited to relate to God in Jesus Christ, establishing a dialogue with him. And we're going to say much more about that dialogue in a moment. And then God speaks through the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit who indwells us. If, if you're a child of God, you're inhabited by the Holy Spirit of the creator of heaven and earth. The God who commanded light to shine out of darkness on the first day of creation has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What an incredible, profound, stunning statement that is. And it's true. If you're a child of God, you have a spark of life within you that is eternal. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. We read in Galatians 4 and verse 6. So he speaks through his living word, he speaks through the Holy Spirit, and God speaks through circumstances of life. Circumstances that teach us we must maintain close fellowship with him to overcome this present evil world. And as we draw close to God, as we mature spiritually, as we enter in on this walk with him from the day of your salvation, from the day you depart this earth. As you draw close to him, you begin to appreciate the life-giving indispensability of his living word more fully. Resurrection life is cultivated in our hearts and minds. How? Not by some magic spell. It's cultivated in our hearts and minds through an ongoing conversation with him. A conversation that never ceases. We pray without ceasing. We read this blessed book. We listen to sermons. We fellowship with our brothers and sisters. In every single way, we look up at the stars. God is speaking to us, and that conversation becomes more and more part of our lives and transforms us. 
And the wonderful part about it is that it's all made possible because he first reached out to communicate with us. Before there was anything else, there was this God speaking. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. This is the God who speaks to us, the living Word. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and see what this looks like in fact. Genesis chapter 1, the chapter that I'm sure is very, very familiar to you. If we look at uh, the first two verses, we'll begin there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Look at verse 6. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And look at the end of verse 7. And it was so. He spoke it, and it was so. Look at verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and it was so. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit, etc. And it was so. He spoke it, and it came into being. Now listen, folks, we read this often, we've heard it often, and it tends to just kind of go over our heads, but if you stop and think about it for just a moment, that God, our Savior, our Creator, literally had a thought about something, spoke it with His living word, and that thing became substance, came into being. Every aspect of our creation, including you and me, that's just startling and wonderful. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. Verse 22, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. Verse 29, and God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed. And then chapter 2 and verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. That word meet there means suitable. I'm going to be a helper, make him a helper suitable for him. Match to him. And then we come to this extraordinary uh, passage starting in verse 20. We'll get there in a minute. We're going to look at the power of language. From the Genesis record, we understand that speech is an essential element in creation. God speaking made it all happen. Lying at the very center of creation, God's creative work was completed only after he spoke every component of this world into being and placed humans at the center of it. And in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, he pronounces it all very good. 
the speaking God then began to reveal his purpose in creation by initiating a conversation with Adam. How do you think he did that? Do you realize that God had to teach Adam language? He had to teach him how to speak. He had to teach him how to think. And only then could they begin a conversation. He taught him language to facilitate the communication in the Garden of Eden. Adam, in turn, discovered the power of language to his ability to formulate thoughts and to name things with an identity apart from himself. One of the greatest miracles of creation is the fact that you and I can think. Because if you don't have words to speak with, you can't think. We're going to look at that in more detail next week. And how the devil is destroying language for that very reason. If you can't speak, you can't think. If, you, if words have no meaning to you, you can't think clearly. To formulate thoughts and to name things, you must have language. But look at what happens here in verse 20. And Adam gave names to all, this is a chapter 2 gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. And then, uh, a little later, um, he speaks to Eve. But I want you to appreciate the fact the ability to perceive the common noun as first used by Adam is the basis of human speech. The thing that makes us what we are and differentiates from us from animals. The fact that Adam had the intelligence and the language taught to him by God himself and was able to look at another object and in looking at that object think about what it was with the words God had given him and then give it a name as something apart from him. This is what it means to be human. The fact that we can think and formulate thoughts formulate ideas and name things and know that that thing is not me. That's what separates us from animals. When Eve was created, Adam named her. Verse 22 and 23, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made me a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And then the conversation initiated by God began to expand because you can be sure Adam and Eve started talking to each other. We learn from this record that language facilitated all God did, made it comprehensible to Adam and Eve, and through their use of language, through their use, Adam and Eve's ability to speak were able to make God and his purpose comprehensible to every human descendant of theirs until the present day. Language set the stage for everything that would unfold in Eden and in the thousands of years since Eden up to the present. So we have God speaking, then we have God and Adam speaking, then we have God, Adam, and Eve speaking. A three-way conversation. Unique. It had never happened before. 
and here they are talking talking to each other. Language is the key to everything we know. It's the foundation of every inner thought. It's the bridge for every relationship. Guys, how did you ever get married? Better find the one that your heart desires and tell her, I love you. And please reply to me, I love you. And boom, it was a match made in heaven. But the fact is that couldn't have happened if you couldn't speak to each other. If you couldn't formulate that thought, if you couldn't decide in your head, that's the one that I'd like to get to know better, and then tell her that, and get her a response. What an amazing thing it was that Adam and Eve could have that conversation. Adam, Eve, and God could have that conversation. Now, we don't know how long that original three-way conversation lasted, or how it developed, or how Adam and Eve thrived from it. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they had a million questions for God about this amazing world they inhabited that he had told them to rule over, to tend to. Language was the tie that bound their intimate personal relationship with God and fueled their every learning moment. Even when God wasn't speaking to them, if they happened to see something and think about it, they were learning. Right up until the fateful day when the first human couple exercised their free will and abruptly interrupted the conversation with God. The moment Adam and Eve fell for the devil's lie, the conversation with God ended just like that. And there was an unbridgeable gap between them. The enormity of their transgression made them hide from him in fear and in silence. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the, cool of the day. They heard his voice. They heard him saying something to them that they comprehended. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. For the first time, this conversation was interrupted. Instead of speaking back to him, they ran from him. And the Lord God called unto them, unto Adam, and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. The awful power of sin, the corrupting nature of sin, the enormity of their transgression drove them to run away from the one who created them and gave them something precious and unique to bind them together, a language so that they could communicate. And so we're going to look next at the sin of silence. It's a sin. Did you know that? The extraordinary picture of the cross and God in human form dying in agony upon it vividly demonstrates how far he was willing to go to restore the conversation. When you see when Jesus Christ dying on the cross, that's part of God's plan to restore the conversation that was lost back in the Garden of Eden. The God who speaks doesn't accept willful silence or awkward incomprehension, incomprehension, just not understanding him. 
as the end state that those, those who created for the purpose of conversionism are talking to him. Scripture powerfully reveals God's preferred conversation and careful steps of restoration after the fall. The Old Testament narrative is a record of largely unwilling or uncomprehending response to God's one-way communication, and in the Old Testament it's one-way because the close two-way communication had been broken in Eden. It was all one way from God. Commandments, precepts, regulations, rules, revelations. But it was all laying a foundation for laying again or fully reestablishing that close two-way communication that began for you the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It was a period rife in the Old Testament with misinterpretation and stubborn disobedience by the people God chose to receive his communication. Because they stood at a distance from God. He was their guide, but he was not their close friend. This fact was made abundantly clear in the story of Job. Poor old Job, we refer to him a lot here, but it's because he is so key to so much truth in the Bible. Uh, the book of Job was the very first book of scripture. By God's own testimony, as you know, Job was unique in the world in his day, a perfect and an upright man, yet Job knew God only by what he received from God. It was one-way communication. Despite acknowledging God with gratitude and appreciation, Job did not enjoy an intimate relationship based on two-way communication. When Job's great trial came, he entered on dangerous ground by demanding a meeting with God to argue his case and to receive an explanation for his suffering. He assumed a level of intimacy and a right that did not exist. The divide from the garden of Eden was still there, later typified when God called to Moses out of the burning bush. What's the first thing he said to Moses? Stay away. You're on holy ground. Don't come too close. That divide was later terribly apparent when Aaron's two sons died instantly when they tried to appreciate God in a way that wasn't authorized. They when I say appreciate, they, they attempted to approach God in a way that wasn't authorized. And this explains God's harsh response to Job. Who is this that darkeneth counsel without, by words without knowledge? Job comes to God begging for relief, begging for an explanation. God says, you're just clouding everything. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about because we don't have a communication link. It was only when Job repented and confessed his ignorance and arrogance that God relieved his suffering. But you know, Job, well, you do know, we've talked about it often, he never received an explanation from God. As we look back at the Old Testament from our vantage point as New Testament Christians, each one of us should be humbled by our unique status with God made possible by our salvation in Jesus Christ. We have something that the world outside cannot imagine. It's something we take for granted every day. But the fact is we can hear God speaking to us, not in a 
If you hear an audible voice, it's because there are too much pepperoni pizza for supper. Uh, he doesn't speak to us that way, but you know when God is speaking to you. And it's so wonderful to talk back to him in prayer, in reading this book. And, and the words that leap off the page, and they were real and alive. What a privilege we have. And we should be convicted by the magnitude of our sin when our relationship with God is marked by silence. When we don't take the time to talk to Him. When we don't read this book. When our lives get too busy. The most precious gift we have after our salvation is the fact that we can talk to God anytime we want to and hear Him talking back to us. And silence is a sin. He wants an ongoing conversation through prayer, reading his word and receiving his word. What kind of conversation? The language of love. The, old, the New Testament outlines our glorious liberation from the restrictions of Old Testament communication, underlined by the invitation to come boldly to the throne of grace. When Aaron's sons tried that, they dropped dead on the spot. For you and me, we are told, hey, come in any time you like to my presence, and you can talk to me. There, the conversation is warm and intimate. It's very different to Job's experience, and it's made clear when we note the Apostle Paul's reactions to his sufferings, which were arguably greater than Job's. Now, we don't have time look at them tonight, you can look, look them up yourself, 2 Corinthians 11, 22-28. What we're going to look at here is one of the mysteries of the Christian life. If you understand Paul and his experience, and what it did to his communication with God, you'll understand a lot about the Christian life. Unlike Job, Paul never complained. He tells instead of being caught up into paradise where he heard sacred words not possible for a man to speak. Then he recounts, that was in the midst of his trials. Then he recounts a further trial sent from God to keep him humble because of the greatness of his revelation. And like Job, at this point, he finally does beg for relief. He says, God, why is this happening? Please heal me three times and ask God for healing. But unlike Job, Paul speaks to God from within the context of an already established close relationship in an ongoing conversation that leads to an answer that he joyfully embraces. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And he, that's God, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, and God is the only one we can run to, that's when we grow spiritually. And look at Paul's response. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Now, he wasn't a masochist. What that means is he's content in his sufferings. He's not complaining about his sufferings. He accepts his suffering as from the hand of God. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in, dis 
takes time, by the way, to learn what this means. Particularly in the area in which we require. God's grace was unknown to Job as it was known to Paul. It was a crucial difference in their relationship with God. In Job's case, Christ had not yet come to live with us, to die for us and rise again from the dead, providing forgiveness for our sin and free access to communicate with our Father in heaven. But as Christians, today we take for granted the extraordinary fact that would have been unthinkable to Job. We are part of God's loving family, enjoying all the blessings that such a close relationship implies, including a constant, close, two-way conversation with our Creator. People like Job's comforters are unable to conceive us when we have God Himself to guide us. John chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. As many as received Him, Christ, and that's you and me, I'm assuming we've all received Christ, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the day you accepted that same Jesus Christ as your Savior, that living word took on flesh in you. Jesus later declared, He that is of God heareth God's word, John 8, 47. And in 10, 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice. When he healed the man born blind, Jesus asked him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? The now seeing man replied, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him and it was he that talketh with thee. That dear man could not comprehend in that moment that God talking directly to him was a far greater miracle than we give him in life. Probably we can meditate on that for a long time. John 13, 34 to 17, 26 is a lengthy passage in the gospel that preserves the very words of Jesus speaking directly and intimately to generations of his followers from New Testament times to the present and beyond. He details what it means to receive his life and to follow him. And the heart of this discourse appears in 14, 23. If a man love me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Like, like a close-knit family. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and me. Chatting with each other anytime we want to. God never takes a day off. There are no uh-ohs with God. Oh, I didn't, I forgot all about Ryan. Better make space for him in my calendar. He's available 24-7 every day of your life. 
He's been hearing and doing the words of our Lord and Savior and maintaining an intimate conversation with him as we pray without ceasing that Christians are defined, or at least should be defined. Christians, above all, should be defined as those who are constantly talking to God and giving replies. At the end of his lengthy farewell to his disciples, Jesus exhorts them to hear his words, to receive his words, to obey his words, and to pass his words on to others. John 17, 13 to 26. Let's quickly turn there and read this passage. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He's talking about praying back to the Father. I have given them, he tells the Father, them being his disciples, thy word. And the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through the, thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. How did the Father send him? Look at verse 13. These things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. When Jesus was here, he spoke to us. He spoke to his disciples. He taught his disciples. He, he told the gospel to his disciples. In verse 18, he tells his father, the way you sent me into the world, speaking to people, telling them about salvation, I am going to send them into the world to do the same thing. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent them into the world, even so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might also be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but on, for them also which shall believe on me through their word. The word that I have given to my disciples, that they have told to others, they came to believe on me because they shared that word. Verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Go down to verse 26. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it. I'm going to keep speaking to them. I'm going to keep communicating with them that the world, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. How are we going to know that he loves us? He's going to keep talking to us. And we're going to keep talking to him. Before there was anything else, there was God speaking. If you have heard and received his word, you have joined an eternal conversation with your creator. question is, do you obey his word? Do you appreciate his word? Do you know what you have in Christ and his word? 
And are you expanding the conversation by passing his word onto others? Father, please turn this word in.